Goaltending is what the Panthers need, and they might have just the guy for the job once Bobrovsky's days are done, and hopefully not before his contract ends. The Kings need improvement in several areas, mainly on offense and perhaps a young goalie. Minnesota, meantime, has a few options in goal, and they have lots of offensive talent, but how do their prospects stack up? Episode 216 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Our prospect series continues with Florida, Los Angeles, and Minnesota, Brett. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Um, we're getting we're getting there, I guess. It is a little bit depressing that yeah. it's taken... I mean, not depressing. I guess not depressing is not the right word, but... Um, <laughs> It's, it is interesting how, like, we may finish this before the NHL even starts again. So um, we'll, have oh, to we think of other, we'll have to think of other things to do if this, if this happens, uh, which is pretty likely, actually. Um, anyways, so we're going to start with Florida. Um, and we're going to talk about their cap situation here. Um, so to start things off, um, so last offseason which i mean which will lead into the first prospect we'll talk to but last offseason they made a big move and they got sergey bobrovsky uh for uh seven years i believe it was either seven or eight years i think it was seven years it was it was fortunately seven years i believe seven years is the max you can sign a free agent that has some play for you you can only sign a player for eight years if if it's an extension so like if you re-sign somebody, the max you could give them was eight. But if right. you're signing somebody in free agency, the max is seven years. Anyway, so they get Sergey Bobrovsky for seven years at ten million um, annual yeah. average value. Um, and I remember at the time because this was after Florida picked and they picked Spencer Knight, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and we and I was just so confused why they would sign Sergey Bobrovsky to a long term, and then also draft uh, like one of the best goaltender prospects out there. Um, it just didn't make sense to me. Um, and it turns out that Sergey Bobrovsky has um, didn't do so well uh, this year either. He had a GAA. I was just double checking, and it, and it's pretty crazy. He had a 3.44 GAA and a save percentage of 900. Um, so yeah, it looks like Florida uh, may may need to swallow that a bit, kind of like a Carey Price situation. Although Carey Price was better this year too, but you know, not like an 8.44, a 3.44 save per, uh, goals against average. Uh, that's kind of nuts. Um, and then, oh yeah, I guess I should talk about the cap-friendly page before we talk about Spencer Knight. Um, good news is they have a lot of uh, free agents this year um, with, um, or this offseason. They have Mike Hoffman, Evgeny Dadanoff, um, Eric Halla, and Brian Boyle, um, as well as Mark Fizik. 
Um, they're all UFAs. Um, so I imagine Dadanoff and Hoffman will be their top priority, but because of that Bobrovsky contract, I would be, they don't have a ton of cap space even still, so um, I doubt they do anything about it. Uh, they, I doubt they keep them. Um, then you have, uh, for RFAs, you have Dominic Tominato, Alexi Sorella, and uh, Lucas Walmark, um, as well as Mackenzie Wegar and Joshua Brown. Um, so, yeah, they, um, they, they might be in trouble for a couple of uh, years. Um, I'm noticing that they have Aaron Eckblag signed long-term for $7.5 million. That's a bit much. Although he had a decent year this year. Um, Keith Yandel, who's 33 years old, and he's a bit underrated, but he kind of had a down year this year, and he's making $6.35 million for three more years. So that's not going to look great. Um, although they did have, um, they did get bargains out of Alexander Barkov and Jonathan Huberdeau, who are their two best players. Uh, they both make $5.9 million for the rest of the time well not the rest of the time but Huberto for three more years and Barca for two more years but um yeah their cap situation is kind of a little bit interesting which is kind of crazy when you think of the like the bargain that they have of Barkov and Huberto um so we'll see how it goes but we're gonna start off with uh Spencer Knight um who was the 2019 draft pick who went 13th overall um, I believe we talked about him a bit when um, when that draft happened in terms of recapping stuff um, because he was the highest draft pick um, since like Carey Price or something like that, um, which will probably be um, even uh, which will be surpassed next year when uh, Askarov is projected to get, go in the top ten. Um, but anyways, uh, Spencer Knight, he played for BC this year, um, and in 33 games, he has a 1.97 GAA and a save percentage of 931, which is really good. Um, he also played four games in the World Juniors. Uh, he had a save percentage of 913 and a GAA of 2.49. Um, and this might be the only prospect that I've seen a lot of, um, because I, well, there was one uh, time two years ago when I saw him play for the U.S. national team um, that was stacked, that had like Jack Hughes, Trevor Zegras, um, I, Matthew Boldy, I think there's a couple of others I'm missing, but they had a lot, they Alex had a pretty Turcotte. good team. Turcotte's another one who we'll talk about in a second too. Um, and it was like a pre-game, preseason game that they played against Harvard. Um, and I forget who won, but I remember like Spencer Knight was the most impressive uh, guy I saw there, as opposed to um, like Jack Hughes and Turcotte and all those guys, um, which is saying a lot because like Caulfield's another one. Um, which is saying a lot because, you know, those were all highly projected players and stuff like that. Um, and then it wasn't until I, uh, I actually started watching, going to more BC games uh, this, la this past year. So I saw him a couple more times um, and he was really, he was really good. 
Um, and, you know, he was pretty calm and collected. And the interesting thing for those who don't know much about college hockey, just a minor history lesson here, um, but BC used to be like the like a hockey hotbed where like all the prospects used to go to. Um, it, they had this, um, I think they still have the coach, Jerry York, who's like a Hall of Famer college coach. Um, and um, it, it took a little, like, of course, like they had guys like um, notable alumni like uh, your favorite Kevin Hayes. Um, <laughs> Johnny Goudreau is the, probably the most notable BC alum. Um, I'm sure there's other ones that I'm blanking on, but BC used to have a lot of pros um, in their program before, but they kind of had a drop off after around like 2015 to around 2018. And they weren't really that good because like BU kind of took over Northeastern started to have some prospects and uh, BC just wasn't as good for whatever reason. They just weren't getting the top the top prospects um and now they ended up getting spencer knight and alex newhook to join um at bc and um all of a sudden they're like a really good team and they were like ranked for most of the year it's unfortunate that we don't get to see um we don't get to see the frozen four anymore but bc would have been in the running this year if they uh, had continued that. Um, but yeah, so BC was actually a pretty good team. And a lot of the reason was is because Spencer Knight was uh, phenomenal throughout. Um, and of the games that I saw of him, like I just remember seeing all these different like saves that he would do or um, just, you know, BC would be under pressure and you wouldn't think that they would be like that. But um, I remember specifically I saw him play against Northeastern, which is another good school now. Um, and uh, yeah, he played really well that, um, then. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, so it's, I think Spencer Knight's going to be a pretty good uh, pro, but the thing is, um, like I, I would say like he's going to be a pro like like around the ranks of like what we're going to talk about with Shesterkin and Sororkin and Samsonov. Um, so those Russian goalies as well. Um, but the thing is, is that when I just talked about the contracts, like I don't know how they're going to do it um, because Sergei Barbarovsky is making 10 million for the foreseeable future. Um, and like, and you get this like future goaltender in the draft um, in the first round at that, and you don't even like, it, it doesn't even make sense. And I wouldn't be surprised to see that Spencer Knight is uh, better than Bobrovsky when Spencer Knight's in the league. Um, so I don't know how they're gonna do it because you're making, you know, Sergei Bobrovsky's 10 million, that's not backup money, you know? So um, I guess they would have to find a way to like, um, I guess we're getting way too ahead of ourselves, but um, like if we're thinking now this contract's gonna be bad, wait till like it's Spencer Knight's RFA year and they can't afford him anymore 
because because uh, Bob Rowski is making too much money. Yeah, and also think about paying Barkov and Huberto before that happens. Right, right. That's another reason too. Yeah. You wonder why the Hawks got into cap trouble. I wonder if Dale Talon had anything to do with that. Yeah, possibly. And he's there GM in Florida now. So <laughs> interesting times. Uh, yeah, so so Florida's got an interesting uh, tangled web they've weaved here uh, with Bobrovsky. And I, I could definitely see age and performance catching up with him in like year four, year five. But we're... Like right in year one, I don't know if uh, Craig Anderson is a better GA than Bobrovsky, but right. probably not that much worse than Bobrovsky. Maybe a maybe a bit less. And Florida is supposed to be a very good team, unlike Ottawa. So, uh, yeah, that that's interesting. What's interesting about Spencer Knight? I totally get the fact of them drafting Spencer Knight and signing Bobrovsky. I get why they would sign Bobrovsky because they're in a position to win however signing him for 10 million is probably where i kind of yeah put the question mark symbol over my head i'm just thinking um what's going on here especially or since he's 31 realize, years know, old yeah yeah <laughs> everyone in the nhl you're just like oh what <laughs> yeah um regardless at the end of the day the florida panthers need a goalie that is going to stop the puck number one number two is not going to get rattled in the moment and is just going to fight he's just going to battle the entire game if 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 a game is just so like chippy and people are in your face and getting in your way and there's like scrums everywhere you need a guy that's calm cool collected can stay composed and deliver results and the atlantic division has a lot of talented teams that pose a bunch of different problems. In Ottawa, you have Brady Kachuk in your face. In Montreal, you have Brendan Gallagher in your face. DeBrusque and Marshall in Boston, they play that role pretty well. And in the case of Tampa Bay and Toronto, they've got offense for days. And they can burn you on not just one line, but maybe on two lines or three lines or even all four if, um, if they're running on all cylinders there. So... The, the thing with Spencer Knight is what's he, what's he going to do in those situations where everything's chaotic around the crease? How does he respond? What's his lateral movement like? What's his overall position, his composure level? All those kind of intangible traits and stuff that people are looking for in a goaltender because goaltenders are a very interesting breed and it's often tough to really – decipher what makes a goaltender good, what makes a goaltender great, and whether or not in that situation and how how a goaltender is going to perform, if they're going to perform good or bad. Because you could have a, a decent goalie that puts up good stats on a very, very, very great team with an electric-style offense, but then you've got you know a goaltender that's putting up okay numbers on an okay to maybe even a like not even a great team without that goalie like Braden Wolpe was in his junior days. And and then you find out, oh, they're they're a very fantastic goalie. They just weren't playing on, you know, a really good team. So that that's kind of where most people are gonna look at Spencer Knight. The only way to really put him into that situation is put him on the biggest stage. And the closest thing we see him on the biggest stage is the 2020 World Juniors. And there were times where 
he looked human, but there are other times where he looked really, really good. And that's definitely good news for the Florida Panthers because you don't see too many goalies get drafted in his position. Like even in the even in the top ten, you don't see too many goalies uh, get drafted there. I think the highest picked goalie was Carey Price back in 05 by Montreal. I think he went fifth overall. And other than that, you don't see too many goalies going in the top 10 these days, probably because of examples like Rick DiPietro, who went first overall in his draft year. Um, But taking a look at how good Spencer Knight has been for the Boston College Eagles, he is 11th in the NCAA minutes played, first amongst freshmen. So as a first year, he was near the top 10 in minutes played. Uh, Record of 23-8-2, finished tied for second in wins this year. Uh, He has 1.97 goals against, ninth in the NCAA, first again amongst freshmen. This is again with no prior NCAA experience. His win percentage, 727, which in 33 games makes the fifth highest win percentage in the entire NCAA. Uh, He faced... The he faced 937 shots, made 872 saves, the 15th most in the NCAA. Um, his 931 save percentage put him in a tie for ninth in the NCAA as well. And he also uh, even uh, finished uh, the year with five shutouts, which is pretty good too. There are also a couple of individual performances I want to highlight from Spencer Knight. Uh, one of them, his second ever appearance in NCAA action. Uh, I believe Boston College was playing Colgate that game. It was a road game. And they they gave up 21 shots in the second period alone to Colgate. Spencer Knight stopped all of them. He faced 39 shots in the game, stopped all of them, and Boston College won the game. Out of the gate, they won two straight, then dropped four in a row. And a couple of those losses, uh, they gave up six goals. Spencer Knight, at least, uh, was charged with six goals. Then they started to get hot. They went on a 10-game win streak uh, to close out the season. They went on an eight-game win streak. And that eight-game win streak was snapped by a random as hell 3-3 double overtime tie against New Hampshire. And in that game against New Hampshire, Spencer Knight stopped 47 of 50 shots. So there is definitely hype with this guy. Uh, The GAA says it. The state percentage says it. We saw it with uh, the U.S. National Development Program that he was a good goalie. He's further cemented that this year. I still think he plays another year before turning pro in Boston College. Then mandatory two seasons of AHL duty before I even think about bringing him up. But I do think you're right, Brett. Before Bobrovsky's contract is up, Spencer Knight will be the guy with the Panthers, assuming, of course, they develop him properly, and that's the key. Yeah, I guess there is something to the fact that they can take their time with him, so it's like there's no rush. Even if he wants to spend his entire um, four years there at BC... Uh, he can do that um, because because mm-hmm. then Bob Ross, then you have Bobrovsky for two more years, you know. So um, I think that could be a, another option too, or uh, maybe he just plays out his junior year um, and then he goes to the AHL for a bit, and um, and then uh, and then all of a sudden you're ready for Bobrovsky. But um, 
it's still it's like the con the the only thing with that is is that the contract's looking pretty bad already, um, and he hasn't even you know it's not even his second year into the contract for Bobrovsky. So you you would think you'd want a better goalie out of that. Um, I will say I will say before we move on to the next guy, Brett. The other thing that's really screwed over the Florida Panthers is their inability to find a good backup because yeah. there were times where it looked like it was going to be James Reimer and then it wasn't James Reimer and now he's in Carolina. Right. And, and you look at their backup goalies this year, Chris Drieger, Chris Drieger at the moment the season stopped was their backup. The guy was in the Senator's farm system with the Hamburglar. He didn't even really play a significant role in the sense farm system they just let him walk and all of a sudden he's their backup yeah the guy who they thought was going to be their backup has been inconsistent this right. year has shown glimpses in the past but it's been inconsistent got sent down to the minors so unless they get a solid backup that can play 25 to 30 games maybe 30 plus to give Bobrovsky some rest I don't even really think Bobrovsky is I think part of the problem with Bobrovsky is he's playing too much. You look at the past three seasons with Columbus, yeah. he's played 60-plus games in all of them. Corpus Allo barely played behind Bobrovsky, and right. Monto barely played behind Bobrovsky this year. So you look at a guy like Anton Hudobin playing well in Dallas, pending UFA, I would look at a veteran backup like Hudobin, put him in for a year or two, and then hopefully he plays to his potential so he can give Bobrovsky some rest. And then maybe, just maybe, Bobrovsky can show the, uh, he, he can kind of show everyone this is the guy who was signed to a seven years yeah. at 10 million per, not this imposter that played this season and the year before and posted a GAA north of three. Yeah, that is a I, good. I, I think that's part of the problem. That is a good point about Bobrovsky might be playing too much. And I think uh, when we had Chris Wassel on a couple of years ago, he mentioned that where Bobrovsky hasn't been as good when he plays more games. So that could be something. But I do want to mention, you kind of derided Chris Dreiger. Um, yeah, he hasn't played 20 games in the NHL, but in 12 games this year, he has a he has pretty good stats. Uh, he has a nine. Okay, they're, they're better than Bobrovsky, and they're better than Montembos. Yeah, I, I was about to say, have you? I, I guess you have seen his stats. Uh, I have I have seen his stats, yeah. but just consistently I, over a lot of backup, I'm I'm. I'm pretty nervous to put him in that role for a okay. whole season. Well, that's fair because it is only 12 games, but I would say that like, like I wouldn't. He did play well. I'll give him that. Yeah. He did play yeah. well. Okay, good. Uh, I just I'll mention to those people who who haven't who don't have his stats out. Um, in those 12 games this year, he has a 9.38 save percentage and a 2.05 games against goals against average. Um, in those 12 games, of course, it's 12 games, but it's not something to sne uh, sneeze at, I guess is the phrase. Yeah, right? it's not something to sneeze at, but you look at the Hamburglar yeah. stats during the run in 2015 and how much NHL games he's played since, okay. there's the danger. Well, you could say that about literally every goalie. <laughs> like, yeah, true. <laughs> like, literally every goalie. 
Uh, so um, I, I just I, I just wouldn't write him off necessarily just because he didn't work out in Ottawa. Like Ottawa gave up on Ben Bishop, and look how that happened. Yeah, you know? So um, obviously, I'm not comparing him to Ben Bishop, but I'm you know I'm just saying it's not like the Senators are the um, know what they're doing with goalies. Um, all right, the next guy we're going to talk about is Gregory Denisenko, um, and most notably, uh, he's in the KHL, um, although just recently I just saw that he signed his entry-level contract with the Florida Panthers um, this month, in fact, so that's, that's kind of good for them. Um, so some of his stats here. Uh, he had six goals and six assists, or that's 12 points in 38 games for Lokomotive Yaroslavi. Um, he also played in the World Juniors for Russia. He was the captain there, um, and he had nine points in seven games. Um, I believe Russia did really well in the World Juniors, too. I think they got silver this year. Is that right? Yeah, because uh, Canada beat them. Thank you, Akil Thomas. Yeah. Um, so... So, yeah, he led Russia team to silver medal, which is still nothing uh, too bad. Um, and I have here that Florida says, or McCabe, who I guess is the uh, general manager or assistant general manager, uh, he can play the game any way you want. He's a stud. We can't wait to get him over here in our system. Um, so imagine it's going to... Um, we could see him next year, in fact, but... Um, I would I would imagine like most KHL players um, that it's going to take a some time to get used to the ice um, and all that stuff. And uh, apparently, just reading from other reports, is that he's considered a hard-nosed forward with high-end skill. Um, he has top-line upside, but some risk as well. So um, he could be like a power forward type player I could see that uh, being the case which is kind of cool because I think Florida doesn't have too many of those type of players um, and that should be interesting to see if they can get Gregory Denisenko going in this system yeah and uh, it'll take obviously a bit of time because he has to get used to the North American game first which means at least two years in the AHL most likely um, but I, I definitely think there is upside with this guy. Um, he was a part of a championship winning roster in the MHL in Russia for uh, two straight years, 2017-18 and 2018-19. Um, I believe his uh, rookie campaign in, or actually, I don't, I don't think his, his rookie campaign in the KHL, if, if that happened before or after he was drafted, um, I, I do know that 28 games in the MHL, he had nine goals and 22 points. Um, and then he got nine goals and 22 points again in 31 games. And then he had five goals and two assists in 12 playoff games that year. Um, or actually, no, his, his, first, his first year didn't lead to a championship. His second and third years did. Anyways... Um, before he entered the KHL, he was putting up respective numbers at the lower levels, and only now he's really started to kind of find his game. 
Um, his 25 games as a rookie with Lokomotiv Yaroslavl, he had four goals and two assists. So six points in 25 games. That's not bad. But again, it, it takes a bit of time, especially when you're playing in a league with men, not just teenagers. Um, he had three assists in uh, the following postseason, though, which is good. Then this year, he had six goals and six helpers over 38 games. So 12 points in 38 games. Of, the points per game is getting a little bit better at that point. And then he had uh, one goal in six playoff games before play was suspended because of the thing everyone talks about now. Um, his claim to being you mentioned Brett was the international success. Um, definitely dominated at um, this year's uh, World Juniors in 2020. Uh, three goals and six assists in seven games as team captain. Um, and I believe... He, yeah, he had nine points the year before that, the World Juniors, with four goals and five assists, and uh, he got a bronze medal uh, in that tournament. Um, he's also played in some other international tournaments in 2015. Uh, with the under-15 Russian squad, he uh, got bronze, finished eighth in tournament scoring, and the guy who led the tournament in scoring was some guy named Andrei Sveshnikov, who scores lacrosse goals now. So, uh, yeah, he's turned out to be a pretty pretty good uh, player um his six helpers to uh Denisenko's six helpers in that uh, tourney were actually tied for first uh in 2017 at the u17s he got another third place finish finished with four points in six games um the florida panthers obviously love this guy um they're eager to get him into north american action um but it's, it's going to be one of those projects that's going to take a little bit of time. There is definitely a need once he gets to the NHL, at least for the time being, because uh, Denisenko is a guy who primarily plays on the left wing. And that is a place where Florida isn't very strong. At the moment, of course, you have Jonathan Huberto, which, like you mentioned, bargain contract. You know that he's a surefire first-line player. That yeah. logs a lot of power play minutes, and he's really elevated his game. You have Frank Petrano that has shown signs of promise and could be a decent contributor. Right now, I would say he's fringe top six, bottom six. He could play on the second line or he could play on the third line, um, provides decent secondary scoring. Then you have Colton Sevier and Dryden Hunt, which are probably bottom six players in this league for life, unless yeah. injuries are apparent and and happening every single week um but that being said it leaves a lot of opportunity for denisenko to really make his mark when he is ready um because given the cap situation i highly doubt florida is going to make a splash in free agency and get some help at left wing because right. If they can't afford it right now with Bobrovsky and his contract in a couple of years, they definitely won't be able to afford it when it becomes time to pay guys like Huberto and Barkov, like you said. On top of that, Dadnov and Hoffman on the right side are both pending UFAs, and if they manage to keep one, it's only one. I highly yeah. doubt both are back for the reasons we mentioned and the little cap they have left. Right. Yeah, I was about to mention that I doubt they, you didn't even mention the, you were, like, I thought you weren't even going to mention that Hoffman and Dadenoff are going to be pending UFAs, and that's 
going to be the real test there because, um, yeah, once I don't think you're going to be able to afford uh, both of them at the same yeah, time, especially with the Bobrovsky contract and I guess mm-hmm. the Keith Yandel and Aaron Eckblad contract as well, which is kind of high. Um, you also have uh, Mike Matheson, who's on yeah, the books for seven years. I get that it's well, not too not bad. Above, it's not above five million, but it's over four point five. So. Right, and I guess Anton Strawman making five point five. Yeah, that's, that's pretty yeah, bad. Yeah, that's a bit suspect too. Yeah, um, not as long, but still. So, anyways, uh, so in that regard, I was thinking about that. Like in that regard, Denisenko might ha- actually have a chance to be in the big club next year. Because you're going to have to have one replacement of Dadanoff or Hoffman, um, whoever goes. Um, and, you know, you'll like, uh, Denisenko seems to be their best prospect. So I, I could see that just just putting him in there. The good, um, news, the good news for Denisenko is that Dadanoff and Hoffman are right wingers and he's a left winger. Right. So... Unless they move him over to the right wing, there's no sense rushing him. Wait, no, Hoffman's a left winger, isn't he? Oh, is he? Okay. Uh, it said, I checked Daily Faceoff, and I'm pretty sure it's it, it recently labeled Dadnov and Hoffman as both right wingers, but it could be because they put Hoffman on the right side. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, you were, Hoffman could be a left winger, too. I thought, I mean, you know more than I do, but I thought yeah. even in Ottawa he was a left winger. But... Maybe maybe they moved him to the right. I don't know. I know he didn't take faceoffs. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, Owen Tippett is going to be a, the other guy, which is also fitting because this is another winger who could go into the NHL given their situation. And this um, guy right plays right wing, not left. And he plays so, right wing. Yeah. yeah. Either way, I mean, if one of them plays right wing, or you know, I think. Well, they'll figure it out. Um, anyways, Owen Tippett, uh, he was a 2017 draft pick um, in the first round. He went 10th overall. Um, and I remember, um, I know he he looks familiar because he, like, he has orange hair. Um, and according to Dauber Prospects, he's an elite sniper and fan favorite with upside to be a very productive top-line player. But um, uh, emphasis on elite sniper, which I, I remember back in draft day, they kept on mentioning that he's like a, he reminds everyone of like a Phil Kessel type player, uh, which is pretty cool. So uh, like he, he can score goals um, and uh, maybe he needs to work on his defensive stuff, but he makes up for it on his goal scoring abilities. Um, however, uh, he didn't do so badly in like the assist <laughs> assist wise last year or the year before that, um, where it's Springfield Thunderbirds he played for. Um, he had 40 points in 46 games, um, and he had more assists than goals in this uh, in this league or uh, on the season, uh, where he had 21 assists and 19 goals last year. Um, he had he played for both Mississauga Steelheads and the Saginaw Spirit, um, and 
uh, I hate combining these things because Elite <laughs> Prospects doesn't combine it for me for some reason. But um, 74 points in 54 games. Yep, um, bang on. There we go. Um, and he had a lot of, he had 27 assists in 31 games for the Saginaw Spirit. But then he had more goals than assists for the Mississauga Steelheads. So maybe it's just one of those things like it depends on what team he is and what role is needed yep. Um, yep. type of situation. Um, and then the, that year he played for the World Juniors and he had four points in five games. So he contributed there. Um, yeah, and I, so considering that he was a 2017 draft pick um, and he played in Springfield, I, I would imagine we'll get to see him more than we'll see Denisenko uh, next season. Um, and especially considering um, Dadanoff and Hoffman are both pending UFAs, so that means some winger um, help will be needed. Um, and that's not to take away anything from Frank Vetrano and Brett Connolly or Noel Achara even, but um, yeah, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, Owen Tippett has more upside than all those guys I just mentioned. Um, and same with Denisenko. So I could see them maybe uh, trying to take advantage of the Barkov, Huberto contract situations and just putting Denisenko and Tippett into the league. Um, just so that they can like take advantage of that one more season um, where Huberdeau and Barkov aren't making as much money as they should. Yeah. 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 That works. That's uh, worked out well for the Leafs. So right. Far, right. Yeah. Their situation. They so kind of did for out. a bit. Yeah. Oh, when they, <laughs> when all those guys were rookies. Yeah. It worked out for them. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the days. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Owen Tippett, very good uh, OHL player. Um, as a rookie in 48 games, he had 15 goals on 96 shots. Now, to put that into perspective, the Mississauga Steelheads back in 2015-16 were very, very loaded offensively. They had Mike McLeod, they had Alex Nylander, they had Nate Bastion, Mason Marchman. Those were their top four scorers. They weren't... They weren't as like red hot as the 67's top six was this year, but they still had some good offense on their top six. And Owen Tippett was one of their heavily relied on secondary goal scorers. Chipped in with seven power play points, um, three power play goals as well. Averaged two shots per game for a role player. That's pretty good. Um, in the following playoffs, um, taking a look at his numbers now, he had um, three points in seven games, which is pretty respectable. Uh, decent shooting percentage there. You go to a second year where he has 41, uh, 44 goals, sorry, in 60 games, finishes with 75 points. This is a guy that not only scores goals, but generates shots. In his second year of OHL action, he had 284. That's an average of 4.73 per game. He had 22 power play points 10 of those goals he had eight game winners um in the 2017 playoffs he added another 10 goals in 20 postseason games finished with 19 points averaged 3.55 shots per game during uh that playoff run i believe mistaga went to the finals that year came up short um but uh, they 
had a very productive season and Owen Tippett was one of their stars. Uh, you go to 2017-18 where he has another 75-point season, plays nine fewer games than the year before, over 51 games, scores 36 goals. Again, scores and also generates a lot of shots. He had 275 this time. So his shots per game went from 4.73 from 2016-17 to 5.39. So he's averaging over five shots per game at this point. He has 25 power play points, 11 power play goals. Um, and in the 2018 playoffs, his team only lasted six games. But guess what? Owen Tippett generated a whopping 46 shots over those six games, Jeez. which means he averaged 7.66 shots every time he stepped on the ice in that shortened playoff run. Wow. So he was absolutely on one, Brett. Yeah, that playoff that's crazy. Yeah, and uh, that continued uh, in his split season with Mississauga and Saginaw. Like you, you alluded to, Brett, Owen Tippett was the guy. Mississauga gets traded at the trade deadline because Mississauga realizes, okay, we're not doing well. We should probably get the most out of whatever veterans uh, we can here. So they shipped Tim and teammate Ryan McLeod to the Saginaw Spirit, who had a lot of good players. They had uh, Damian Drew. They had Bolkowski. Um, you, they brought in Tippett along with Ryan McLeod. Um, they had uh, some decent production on their blue line as well. And on top of that, they had this potentially deadly top 10 pick named Cole Perfetti, who was a rookie then and uh, somehow got even better in his second year. And we'll probably have more opportunities to talk about uh, Cole Perfetti later. Uh, but in those uh, 2019 playoffs with Saginaw, Tippett added 11 goals and 11 assists in 17 games uh, for a 15.7 shooting percentage. So again, shooting percentage around 13 to 15%, averaging four, five, six, maybe even seven on a superhuman level shots per game. And a guy that can produce on the power play. In the AHL this year, picked up right where he left off. He has 40 points in 46 games as a rookie. And if if you're looking for someone like a Mike Hoffman that has a good shot, isn't afraid to use it, and will use it every chance he gets, you might have a suitable replacement there. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um... Okay, let's get going here. Uh, this next guy we're going to talk about who was, he was kind of hyped a couple of years ago, but then uh, he kind of slowed down once he started playing for the Panthers a bit. Um, and I'm talking about Henrik Forkstrom here. Uh, the reason why he was hyped so much was because he was in 2016, 2017, um, and oh, in 2017, 2018, he was like the star for uh, University of Denver. Um, where, so, uh, 20, his senior year, oh no, sorry, his, uh, sophomore year, he had 52 points in 40 games, um, and then his, uh, freshman year, he had 43 points in 37 games, so he was really good, uh, for both of those, uh, those seasons, um, and then they put him into, uh, Florida, um, and, or they, they send him right to Florida, I guess it's one of those things that he signs right away after the season and plays like a couple games um and uh he has one point in four games 
there. And then uh, they sent him to the Panthers last year uh, just to play 50 games um, in Florida. Um, and he had 18 points. But get this, he um, 18 points in uh, 50 games. But get this, he ha- he had he was only playing 12 minutes of ice time, which leads me to believe that he was mostly like a third line player, which doesn't make that much sense if he's like he can't grow if you're just gonna put him on the third line. So that's why they put him, they send him down to Springfield, uh, their AHL affiliate, um, and he gets 22 points in 24 games there. So you think like, okay, he he understands uh, the AHL, so maybe he can he can be good this year, um, and some or something like that. Um, and then in those four games, again he plays this year. Uh, he has zero points, um, but he also has 12 minutes of ice time. So it's just I don't know what they're doing with his ice time here. But then when he goes back to Springfield for the rest of the time. Um, he gets uh, he has 23 points in 49 games, so a little bit worse than what he had um, in Springfield the previous season. Um, but the thing here is that because the Panthers did trade Trocheck, uh, you know, over the trade deadline, um, there aren't too many centers that the Panthers have in their system that can help out can help them out here. I mean, they, they probably will go get a center in this year's draft because uh, there's a couple of them. But um, I like I guess Eric Halla, he's a center, but he's going to be a UFA. Um, and Barkov, obviously. But everyone, like the second line center for, for Florida is kind of up for grabs. So from that perspective, I think Borgstrom should be a second line center. But it seems like the whole team is not willing to give him a ton of ice time, which is a little bit strange. Yeah, it definitely is a little bit strange for sure. Um, and and I, I do agree. I when, when we were talking about the Florida Panthers, I was just thinking, I remember when Henrik Bjornstrom was probably the most hyped prospect yeah. um, before Denisenko, before Owen Tippett. And Spencer um, This was... This was a guy at, at the junior A level who had like a 29 goal season. And uh, then he goes to the NCAA level and plays absolutely great with the Denver Pioneers, like 22 goals, 21 assists in 37 games his first year. Top 20 in goals and points, points per game. He was around the top 25. Um, and then... He goes into his second year, he finishes ninth in goals, fifth in points, uh, top 20 in assists. He's now seventh in points per game. Um, Along the way, also won a national title with Denver. I think that was uh, in his rookie campaign as well. And in the AHL, in the 73 games he's played, he has 45 points, six power play goals. So he's proven he can score in the power play. He had five of those goals this year alone. So I definitely see that there's an upside there. And if you need to use him in shootouts, he's four for four lifetime in the AHL. He's gone two for two in each of the two seasons he's played so far. So he's a secret weapon uh, in the skills competition if you ever need him. Um, I get that his goal scoring could be a little bit better. And, um, 
you know, as as a player, we haven't seen the best of him. But I also think in the NHL, he hasn't really gotten the primary opportunities. Like on the power play at even strength, he's not playing with Huberto and Barkov. You might see him a little bit with guys like Denny Malgin and Evgeny Dadanov. But other than that, it's guys like Jamie McGinn, Colton Sevier, Dryden Hunt, Chase Auerluck. Not really guys that you would put in the top six normally. So how are you really going to achieve a lot of offensive success and get people to take notice of your game when you're not playing those primary minutes? So it's it's definitely a challenging period for Bjorkstrom, and it's definitely something that he's still working through. Um, but I do dig the scouting report, and it gives me reason to hope. Like, you have two or three guys trailing behind him. He can dangle through all of them. He has a good wrist shot. His release is very quick. Um, but in order to be useful at this job, as a center, you also need to consistently win face-offs every night. In his NHL draws where he was like getting constant reps in his first legitimate rookie season, uh, he won just over 40% of his draws last year. And to his credit, he improved to 50% this year, but he only played in four NHL games, so he didn't get the consistent workload there. Right. Um, the other thing for Florida is they have lots of options down the middle. Um, obviously, there's Barkov, um, leading the way, but they also have Eric Halla, who is at the end of his contract after this year. He's got some potential upside. He's shown it in the past. Lucas Walmark's got a bit of upside. Achari, for his role, he's good at what he does. Mm. Brian Boyle, he contributes as well. Um, you also have a couple of decent prospects. Um, I don't think he has to worry about Jonathan Eng or Cold Schwind, um, but E2 Lewis Dorinen, uh, that could be uh, a, a pretty big threat uh, to Bjorkstrom's time in Florida. I would say his primary threat is Alexei Heponiemi. And this is a guy in 2016-17, played in the WHL with Smith Curran, got 86 points in 72 games. The year after, he was a top-five scorer with 118 yeah. points in 57 games. A season where he had, get this, Brett, 90 assists. He had a 90-assist season in the WHL, which is yeah, pretty, good. pretty good. And then he goes to the Liga, is close to a point-per-game player. The downside of Hepo Niemi, elite prospects has him listed at 5'10", and he weighs under 150 pounds. Wow. So, Yorkstrom has the size. But Hepo Niemi, if he, if he puts on muscle and he continues – to outclass Bjorkstrom on the offensive side, and he's winning faceoffs. Bjorkstrom could be pushed down the depth chart even further. So the next two years are going to be key for Henry. Yeah, uh, Hepo Niemi is another one I considered for the five prospects we're going to talk about. But um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, so this next guy we're going to talk about is Max Gildong. Um, and credit to, I actually know this guy is listening. Um, Victor Nuno, um, he's some, he, I co-own a team with him now, um, and we were preparing for our prospect draft, um, and he mentioned, uh, this guy named Max Gildon, 
Um, and he even he explicitly says that he's high on him, especially because um, just in a couple of years, it's not like Florida has too many defensive prospects um, to worry about. And um, it's not like Ekblad has been exactly how they expected him to be. Um, so, yeah, uh, he... Uh, uh, so, Max Gildon, he... Uh, I feel like no one's really heard of him either. Uh, but he played for UNH. Um, and he has, uh, he has 29 points in uh, 34 games. Um, and uh, he's mostly more of an assist person and, and stuff like that. But... Um, it seems like he, he's the only offensive defense, defenseman in their system. I know you're going to mention Chase Prisky, and I think there's like another one, Brady Keeper, I keep on seeing as well. Um, so I assume they'll eventually uh, have a role on the defensive side of things. But um, yeah, I think they're, you know, for, unfortunately, I think because Florida has long-term contracts to... Ekblad, Yandel, Strawman, and Matheson. Um, it's kind of hard to get in uh, to the to the league with with those guys, but um, it's possible that Max Gildon could uh, make a name for himself. But I'd imagine we'll see what he does in Springfield um, before we see him in the NHL, for obvious reasons. Yeah, I, I will say Max Gildon, like he had decent numbers, but they also signed this guy named Alec Brauhauser, who was a pretty good offensive defenseman at Bowling Green University uh, yeah. in the LA. And uh, there was Trace Prisky that came to mind. Brady Keeper uh, is another one. Emil Juice has put up some decent numbers in the AHL as well, but he's a bit of an older prospect uh, compared to some of the guys we're talking about. Um, but I took a look at um, what he's being ruled up as, and I can definitely see why um, your co-manager would mention him. Um, he's being labeled as a guy that eats up top minutes, and at six foot three can chip in on both the offensive side of the game and the defensive side of the game. Very steadying presence in his own zone. Strong and physical guy. That is what Florida needs. Florida needs complete shutdown defense, but also a guy that can contribute offensively. They need one of those Swiss Army Knife defensemen. And you look at someone like Keith Yandel, who I, I think for his, his contract, he's performed pretty well. If he doesn't give you 50 to 60 points, he'll get you at least 40 to 45 every year. However, he's going to be 34 in September. And by the end of his contract, he'll be 37, 38 around there which isn't great because you're going to need young defense to step into the spotlight when the time comes to take the reins from him and that's where the development of these young defensemen is key not just for Prisky not just for Rauhauser but for this guy as well and um, on, on the left side of their defense just taking a look at their prospect situation right now and and their roster situation. The Florida Panthers on left defense, they have Keith Yandel, Michael Matheson, and Riley Stillman. Michael Matheson is more of a shutdown defender. 
I think it's a luxury if he gets you a 30-point season, but 20 to 29 is normally what you would probably expect from him. He's mostly a shutdown guy at this point. He handles more of the offensive defense than that. Plays decent defense, but I wouldn't call him a Swiss Army knife. I'd mostly call him more of an offensive threat there. Yeah, he's like a uh, power play specialist, really. Yeah, they're, they're power play specialists, exactly. Um, and at the same time, you take a look at Max's college numbers, and they've been pretty good. Um, he had 21 points, or a, he had 23 points as a rookie, 21 points as a second-year skater, and then this year, 29 points uh, in 34 games. So I definitely think uh, the upside is there, and I'm interested to see what he brings to the team. Um, definitely would put him in the HL for at least a year or two before bringing him up, but um, he could have a future with the Panthers for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, now we're – I think I feel like we just have to keep on going now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about the Panthers for an hour now. Uh, so we're going to talk about the LA Kings here. Um, a couple of years ago, their prospect pool wasn't that good. Um, and now it's probably one of the best now, um, which is after a couple of years. So I think they're just embracing the tank and embracing yeah. the rebuild. And that's kind of what happens with teams. Like I, I, I doubt they uh, will complain when they have two cups and a lot of franchises don't have any. So, uh, but that's the uh, the sword that happens, or um, that's what ends up happening to franchises. There's a downturn. Uh, the Blackhawks are another team that's experiencing this at the moment, too. Um, although the Bruins and the Penguins have kind of gotten lucky in that regard. Um, anyways, uh, so the first guy we're going to talk about... Oh, well, actually, cap-friendly here. Uh, so... Uh, UFAs uh, we have here are Trevor Lewis, Ben Hutton, and Joe Kim Ryan. Um, and then for RFAs, we have Nicole, Nikolai Parakorkin, um, and uh, we have Austin Wagner and Sean Walker. Um, oh, I guess Tim Schaller's also a UFA. I see a couple of things here. Um, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to start off with Alex Turcott. Um, he was the fifth overall pick this year. Um, and, yeah, he, he was pretty good. I thought he didn't do as well as, uh, as we had all expected out of Wisconsin. But it turns out, looking at his stats here, he actually played pretty well. Um, he had uh, 26 points in 29 games. Nine of those were goals, and then he went to the World Juniors for the disappointing USA team, um, and he, he had two points in five games. Um, so that is fun. Another interesting fact about him, well, not really interesting, but personal connection. I think we had Aaron on a couple weeks, uh, a month ago. He's a huge Kings fan, um, and I believe Alex Turcotte's uncle taught him hockey. Um, so, um, and Alex Turcott, you know, and he, he, Aaron's also a Kings fan. So it was kind of mm -hmm. cool. I got to break the news that they got, um, the coach's son into the LA Kings, um, which is kind of cool. Um, anyways, uh, Turcott, 
Um, I'm seeing a lot of similarities to Jonathan Taze, and he's like a two-way player. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, you can build around. And I think that's what the Kings are trying to do is uh, try to build around Turcotte um, in this new regime of players. So I could see him... Sorry, I I should mention. I mean, Anse Kopitar has a couple years left at ten million in terms of centers, but um, you know, I I could see it will probably take a little bit longer to develop him, and it's not they have a lot of time uh, to do so. So I could see him just being in uh, the um, the AHL for a bit, um, just to keep up with everything. Um, and then maybe in two years we see him up and be like uh, a second line center for them and then eventually uh, be like maybe even the captain once Anse Kopitar retires although that's that won't be for a couple more years yeah there's there's this uh, interesting quote um, that I'm going to read to you um with very high praise from Alex Turcotte. So um, this is what the mystery person said about Turcotte. He is a beast. Alex plays a hard, heavy skill game, and that's a very tough combination to deal with. He scores goals and he makes plays, but he's probably the best face-off guy on the team. A lot of his goals are net front tips, rebounds, and shots in front. He's a skilled guy, but also a guy who drives to the net. Guess who said that about Turcotte? Um, Wayne Gretzky. Who? Nope. Was not Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> Who? Jack Hughes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jack Hughes is a big fan of Turcotte's game. Uh, what's also interesting is that uh, Alex's father, Alfie, was drafted by the Canadians in the early 80s. And unfortunately, if you got drafted by the Canadians at that time, because their veterans played for a lot of years, it was the kiss of death because good luck getting a spot on that team. And uh, he played, like, I think 83 of his, like, 110-plus NHL games in his first two seasons. And after that, he mostly played overseas after that. So um, his time was short-lived, but he also kind of created this move, maybe not maybe not um, move for move, but kind of developed the toe drag that you kind of see a lot of in today's game. So um, in his short time in the NHL and in hockey in general, Alfie kind of put his stamp on that. And I'm guessing it's a move that Alex has tried many, many times. And the game is faster, so a lot more skilled guys like Alex Turcotte are able to flourish. But um, what's also interesting is the coach of the U.S. National Development Program said that Turcotte's personality is more of a blend of two very different personalities. It's a blend of Sidney Crosby and Brad Marchand, Hmm. where he's agitating like Brad Marchand, but he'll never give you the time of day like Crosby. So kind of a very annoying presence, which is kind of interesting because, um, you know, in the Kings-Blackhawks rivalry, you probably had a lot of guys that would that would kind of get under people's skin. And you also take a look at the Kings and Flames robbery and you just think of that quote from the coach. And I'm thinking, isn't that like Matthew Kachuk or something? Yeah. Guy that's very, very talented and will try between the legs stuff, but will also piss you off in the scrum. So it's kind of interesting um, how they're 
they're kind of broadcasting Turcotte's game. He's very skilled, but he's a guy that throughout time, you might hate his cuts a little bit. Okay, um, interesting. But uh, yeah, a top five of this selection by the Kings, nonetheless, a very important offensive player to that team. Uh, you mentioned two assists in five games to the World Juniors. That's not too, too bad. Um, but um, it, it's it's something that's, that's again, going to take a bit of time to get used to. He just played his first full season of NCAA hockey for the Wisconsin Badgers, played 29 games there, uh, recorded nine goals and 17 helpers for 26 points. And now that he's turned pro, I'm guessing he won't be going back now. So in all likelihood... He, at the very worst scenario, he's probably going to be playing AHL hockey next year with the Ontario Reign, which is good because uh, their AHL team isn't necessarily better than the NHL franchise they currently have. Um, a season ago, they were dead last in the AHL, the Ontario right. Reign were. So um, they, you're right. That's, that's how bad their prospect was, Brett. Their team was so bad that their minor league team was just as bad because <laughs> of the status of their prospect pool. Um, they also have a lot of options at center um, to look at beyond Alex Turcotte. There's Akil Thomas, who we mentioned earlier. He scored a big goal for Canada at the World Juniors. In three straight OHL seasons, he's posted at least 80 points. He had 102 uh, a season ago. You have Jared Anderson Dolan, who had a couple of 40 to 50, uh, who could average 40 to 50 goals in the WHL. And he did so average at that pace for three straight years. Um, you look at someone like Samuel Fagamo, who has 27 goals and 20 helpers in 84 career SHL games, and was also one of the top scorers at this year's World Juniors. Obviously, a guy that's probably going to have to make the North American transition, but still a guy with a fair amount of upside in his own right. And then you also have Carl Grundstrom, who you got in the Jake Muzzin trade that plays right. with a bit of sandpaper. The good news for the Kings is there are probably going to be multiple spots opening up down the middle because you have Kopitar nearing the end of his prime. Jeff Carter, if he hasn't reached the end of his prime, he will soon. His body probably is past his prime. And um, after that, it, the bottom kind of dips out a little bit. So I still think Turcotte has future number one center written all over him. And the only question is how good he can be at this level. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, that's a good analyst there. <laughs> so the next guy we're going to talk about is another 2019 draft pick, but who they got in the second round, um, Arthur Kaliev. Um, Kaliev, so he slipped in the draft. I remember we talked about this last week, but I wanted mm -hmm. the Bruins to get Kaliev or Lavoie. Uh, they didn't get either. Um, and Kaliev uh, put up another impressive season this year as well. Um, it would have been, I would imagine, he was on pace for an even better season before this whole, whole thing uh, spread, but <laughs> before the pandemic ended everything. But uh, for the Hamilton Bulldogs, he had uh, 98 points in 57 games. The year before that, his draft year, he had 102 points in 67 games. So that's already a better pace. Um, and then he played for the World Juniors, where he did better than Alex uh, Turcotte. 
Um, and he had six points in five games for Team USA. Uh, uh, also on the same team, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, he had six points in five games. Um, and I think, um, so he has, just according to scouting reports, he's an enigmatic offensive force. Um, he lacks t tangible fire away from the puck, but knows what to do when he has it. So I guess that's a part of his... Like that might be have been a reason why he slipped so far in the draft, but it could be a it could have this sense that he could be like a Alex DeBrincat type player, where he um, he's just that good um, that it doesn't even matter um, of his like weaknesses or his strengths outweighs his weaknesses and and all that stuff, um, and yeah I, I just remember back. Uh, in 2019 when we were doing all this draft preview stuff he was projected to be a late first round pick um, mm -hmm. and it turns out that he you know he just went to the second round um, instead um, so yeah I, I think in terms of it's it's tough to project all this uh, like where I see him fitting in the future because the Kings are in rebuild mode um, <laughs> And so I could, and Calio is one of their better prospects. So I could see him still being in like a top six role um, in the coming years. But it'll probably take a couple of years to even see him in the first place. Um, I imagine we'll see him um, in Ontario because uh, he's too good for the OHL right now. So we'll see him in the AHL next year. Um, and then maybe the following year, if he plays well, we'll see him in the NHL. Um, but uh, who knows? It, it all depends on how well he plays in the AHL. Yeah, it goes from a province in on uh, province of Ontario in Canada to Ontario, California. How fitting! Uh, yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, and he, I'll be perfectly honest, Arthur Kaliev, because Hamilton's division rivals with Ottawa, I've seen him play a few times uh, going to 67's games. Uh, in particular, the latest, the most recent time I saw him was round one, game two of last year's playoffs because um, Ottawa played Hamilton in the first round and didn't last long. The Hamilton Bulldogs got swept by the 67's. So, um I'll talk a bit about that playoffs because it goes back to that defense part. Uh, but first, talking about how good Arthur Kaliev is and how good he is at scoring goals. As a rookie in 68 games, he had 31 goals and 48 points, 208 shots on goal, so his shooting percentage was near 15%. He had six power play goals. So that's pretty good for a rookie season. Um, and this Hamilton team had guys like... Robert Thomas, who they got from the London Knights. Uh, I will add that it did cost them Connor McMichael, who turned out to be a good player in his own right. But for their playoff run, Robert Thomas was the guy that they needed. And they also had Brandon Sajan, Matthew Strome, who was a Flyers, who were drafted by the Flyers. Uh, will Bitten, who is also an NHL prospect. Uh, I think he's in Minnesota system we'll talk about later. Uh, Ryan Moore, Nick Camano, they picked up from the Flint Firebirds. All those guys would have like 20 to 30 goal seasons, 50 to 75 points. A lot of depth in their top six. And they would also have some other guys that chipped in with secondary scoring. Um, they have Ben Gleason leading the blue line with 48 points. And Kaliev, despite all of that depth, 
that Hamilton had. As the rookie, Kaliev was third on the team in goals, third on the team in shots, and sixth on the team in power play goals scored. So you talk about having an enigmatic offensive mind. There it is right there as a rookie. Uh, you go to last year where he had 51 goals and 102 points in 67 games. Finished the year with 320 shots, shooting percentage of 15.9 this time. And his shots per game average went from 3.05 all the way to 4.77 in one season. And you mentioned the power play goals. He had 20 on the power play alone, and he finished with 44 power play points. That brings us to the playoffs um, in in 2019. The year before, he had 11 points in 21 games. Hamilton won the OHL title. And... Kaliev played a decent role in that, but they only lasted four playoff games in 2019. He only got a goal and two assists. He averaged 3.75 shots per game in that series. He had 15 in the four-game series, only scored once, and that goal was on the power play. So, again, good on the power play, but elsewhere, if you didn't have the puck, there were question marks. And I think part of the question marks, Brett, have something to do with, yeah, I guess maybe not having as much fire playing defensive hockey, more of an offense first type of guy like Thomas Vanek, who admitted that he doesn't really play defense, doesn't really try. Um, I think he, I think with Kaliev, he's also so focused offensively that when you're so focused on being that offensive guy, if you make a mistake it has the capability of burning your whole team because you're so focused on creating offense you're trying to force certain things and that often puts you in bad spots and i think perhaps that also might lead to a bit of misfortune for kaliev but like you said if the good outweighs the bad offensively you might overlook it for quite some time right. and the bulldogs overlooked it because they kept kaliev this year and in 57 games Two points shy of 100, 44 goals season, 288 shots on goals. So his shots per game was over five this time. Shooting percentage still over 15%. And on the power play, he had 16 goals and 25 assists. So that's another 41 power play points on his OHL resume. So you can question his defense all you want. At the end of the day, the Kings need goals. They need a guy who scores a lot of goals and can generate a lot of shots. And Kaliev does all of that. Yeah, so I think he'll be like a goal scorer type of player, obviously. Yeah. So um, kind of like a, what we project Owen Tippett to be. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Bless you. Excuse me. Sorry. Um, I said bless you to myself. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I was about to say, like, I didn't sneeze. But... Yeah. Um, anyways, we're, uh, the next guy we're going to talk about. Excuse me I again. threes, apparently. I know, I know. Well, twos. That was two. Um, yeah. I'm sure I'm going to sneeze again. Yeah. Anyways, uh, the next guy I'm going to talk about uh, is another player that I have experience watching in person. Uh, this is uh, Tyler Madden. Um, he played for Northeastern. Um, what was funny though is I remember exactly. I uh, I saw him. I went to a couple of BC games and then I went to a couple of Northeastern games, and then I 
the day he gets traded was when uh was the day of northeastern and bc um so that was the uh, funny part and then he gets injured um when he was involved in that tyler Toffoli trade um if you guys don't remember but um i had seen him early on in the year and i believe he had like two goals um i want to say it was against merrimack um and uh he looked really good i mean merrimack's one of the uh not a great team uh this year but um even still like he was what like you could see that this guy has skill um and i went to a couple of northeastern games last year and he scored a bunch too um so tyler madden was is is like a pretty good player um i know that's uh high praise right but um i was like i was pretty excited when i or like there was a i remember when this trade happened there was a couple of canucks fans because i have a couple of canucks fans in my leagues um they were kind of annoyed because they thought like they wanted tyler madden they wanted to see tyler madden in vancouver instead of in la um not to like tyler Toffoli is a good player but um I think Tyler Madden uh, may end up swaying that, like, you know, we may look end up looking back and realize how stupid Vancouver was um, in, uh, in giving up Tyler Madden, um, especially when the Tyler Toffoli may not end up signing with Vancouver in the long run. Um, but anyways, I'll get to his stats here. Uh, he had 37 points in 27 games. Uh, this year, um, and he was well on his way to becoming a Hobie Baker uh, trip, like one of the big time nominees, and he ended up becoming a nominee. But I think he could have won it um, if he had continued to play. Um, he was injured, and he had like a season-ending injury, as it turns out. But I think if he remained healthy, he would have been up there. Um, in that terms, uh, the year before that, uh, his freshman year at Northeastern, he had 28 points in 36 games, um, and he also played for the World Juniors, where he had four points in seven games. Um, so, yeah, the thing that's also interesting about Tyler Madden is he's one of those short players, um, but not like he's still very skilled in the NHL. He's 5'11". Um, so I could see that being a detriment to him. Like if he doesn't end up working out in the NHL, I could see that being a case where he's like, you know, he's too short or something like that. But as I mentioned before with Turcotte um, and just the centers in general, like there isn't too much competition for him, I guess, other than I guess, you know, Turcotte and Velarde. Um, so I would imagine Tyler Madden will be um, either moved to the wing or he'll be like a third line center for them um, if Velarde or Turcotte don't work out. So um, yeah, I think he, so that's, that might be an issue um, in that regard, but I think it's a good depth piece for the LA Kings um, in, in the long run. I don't think we'll see him next year but we could see him the year after i think we also want to see what he does in ontario 
Um, the thing with the Kings, as we mentioned before, is there's a lot of time because they're rebuilding. They don't need to be instantly good right away. In fact, it's probably better if that's the case. So um, I would like to see him in Ontario um, for the entire season this year, uh, next year, but maybe it doesn't happen. Who knows? Yeah. Um, that. Tyler Madden's an interesting character because in his draft year, this is before he began his NCAA career at Northeastern, um, he had 15 goals and 34 points in 50 USHL games. And that was what ended up getting him drafted. I believe it was a third-round pick of the Canucks at the time. Yeah, third-round, 68th overall yeah. in 2018 by Vancouver. And um, for a first-time NCAA player, he got 12 goals and 16 assists, 28 points in 36 games. Um, if you take a look at his goals per game ratio in his second year, however, there are only two other guys in the entire NCAA with a higher GPG ratio than Tyler Madden. He was 11th in goal scoring with uh, 19 goals. He also had 18 assists for 37 points in 27 games. So you're looking at around 40, 45 to 50 points, 25 goals around there if he plays the full season. And, um so there's definitely a lot to look forward to there. Um, like you said, Brett, because of their options in the face-off dot, perhaps they move him to the wing. Um, at best, could be a top six guy. At the very least, a secondary guy that can play solid bottom six minutes and you know what you're getting every single year. And it kind of makes sense if the latter happens because that's what his dad was, John Madden won two cups with the Devils in 2000 and 2003, then went to a couple of other markets, ended up going to Chicago for the 2009-2010 season where he won his third Stanley Cup. This was a guy that was a reliable player that played bottom six minutes, sometimes top six minutes, that every year would get you 35 to 40 points. And it was just a lock. That was what he did every single year. He would chip in in the playoffs when called upon, but he was just a good, solid depth guy. So I think at the very least, that's what Tyler Madden's going to be. But I definitely think there's potential to be so much more than that. Yeah. I realized that I went out of order for you, Steve, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know if you <laughs> I just know, realized so. I'm just saying, okay, I have to scroll down a little bit, but that's okay. Uh, so the next guy we're going to talk about is Gabe Villardi. Um, is, uh, he, uh, he actually had a pretty good year for the LA Kings this year, but uh, he was a 2017 uh, first-round pick. He went 11th overall. I think this was like the start of the Kings starting their rebuild. Um, yeah. I remember at the time, like, uh, I remember you specifically, you were... Uh, you were very high on this person and were surprised that he dropped past the top 10. Um, so I think the Kings uh, did really well here and they got Gabe Velarde here. Um, yeah, you liked him a lot, I remember. Um, mm -hmm. And so the next year uh, he had, for Kingston, he had 58 points for 30 in 32 games, uh, which isn't bad. But I think a big reason why he even slipped past that you know he was 11th overall that year was just because he had um, a uh, he was injured for a part of it 
um, and that hurt him, kind of like Pete and Krebs, who I'm sure we'll talk about when we talk about Vegas. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and that I think that had part of it to do with it. Um, and then um, I see here that he played, so he went to Kingston um, and he had 58 points in 32 games. Um, I'll let you talk about that more because uh, you're the OHL guy. Um, <laughs> and then I see that he only played four games in the AHL. He didn't even play in the OHL in 2018-2019. Um, and he only played four games. He had one assist for the Ontario Reign. So I guess he got injured again. Um, so that's not great. Uh, but uh, he did play this year for both Ontario and the LA Kings for a bit. Um, and in Ontario, for thirty in 32 games, he had 25 points. Um, and then for, I think he played for the Kings in the last, I want to say the last 10 games of the year for them. Um, he had seven points in 10 games for them, uh, which is pretty good, um, especially considering the Kings aren't a good team. So that's kind of like a bright spot uh, for the Kings uh, this year. Um, and yeah, I'm sure it's something that they'll look forward to. Uh, apparently he's a two, another two way forward. Um, and he is, he, he looks good. He's like a playmaker. Um, and he came, oh, he came back from a back injury. So, so that's why he, uh, he only played four games the year before that. But yeah, I think this, um, again, like the center role, like sure there's Turcotte, there's Tyler Madden who we just both we just talked about but um Gabe Velarde should also be in the mix in terms of centers to uh uh to talk about and maybe maybe he goes to the wing or one of these three guys that we just talked about go to the end up becoming a wing person um and we'll see we'll see about that yeah, it's it's a bit tough to kind of like evaluate like how good um, Tyler Madden is or Alex Turcotte is at center because um, in the NCAA and in, in the AHL, they don't really, at least not to my knowledge, they don't really track face-offs on their website, right. but the OHL does. So that's why when I look at centers, I often take a look at the face-offs when I'm looking at the OHL site. I believe the QMJHL and the WHL, they also have face-off trackers there. Um, and they did for Gabe Velarde. Um, his rookie year with uh, the Windsor Spitfires, he had 17 goals and 38 points. Uh, took 573 face-offs, won 264 of those. Uh, so that's a face-off percentage of 46. Um in his second year, um, he took 266 faceoffs, won 136. That was good for a faceoff percentage, just over 51%. It uh, remained just over 51% uh, in his shortened season with the Frontenacs. Uh, took 511 faceoffs that year, won 261 of those draws. Um, his goal scoring, it wasn't mind-boggling, but it was efficient. Because you look at his rookie season, he only had 112 shots as a rookie, and that's largely because Jeremy, um, I don't know if Jeremy Bracco was a Windsor Spitfire at this point. Um, I know that in 2016-17, Velarde's second season, he was. Um, but Windsor had a decent amount of offensive depth there, so they were probably spreading the wealth around a little bit. 
he didn't get too many shots on goal, not even two shots per game he averaged. But still, on 112 shots, he scored 17 times. So that's a shooting percentage of 15.1%. Also had four power play goals. So as a rookie, that's pretty good. Um, in his second year, in 49 games played, he had 29 goals and 61 points. Only 115, sh- uh, only 150 five zero shots. And his shooting percentage went from 15.1 all the way up to 19.3. So again, not a guy that generates a ton of shots, but at least he's efficient. He's an efficient goal scorer. Um, His 32-game season with Kingston, where he gets 58 points, he scored 22 goals over those 32 games, only took 113 shots. So again, a shooting percentage just under 20%. And uh, he also uh, put up decent numbers on the power play. He had 11, 18, and 18 power play points, respectively, over his three OHL seasons. What was really catching my interest was his performance in Memorial Cup because people forget that Windsor was up 3-1 to one to the London Knights in their first round series. London beats them uh, in the next three games to come back and win the series. Uh, Velarde in that seven-game series loss had two goals and four assists for a total of six points. In four Memorial Cup games, the reason why Windsor got in is because they were the host that year. He had seven assists in those four games, and Windsor won the Memorial Cup. And a big reason why they did was because of Gabe Velarde being the distributor. And then in the 2018 playoffs with Kingston, he had 11 goals and 11 assists in 16 games. Uh, his shooting percentage there was 19.6. So again, not too many shots on goal, but when he puts them on goal, sometimes he finds Pater. And it makes total sense when you take a look at his AHL stats, when you look at his NHL stats. Not an overpowering offensive force, but when it counts, when he needs to make good, Gabe Velarde makes good on his chances. And it definitely helps the LA Kings if he can be that efficient scorer, not a guy like Arthur Kelly of that. Yeah. You know, he's going to get his goals and you know that he's going to score on a lot of the shots that he takes. And if he takes a lot of the shots, you know, not every single one is going to go in, but Kelly is always going to be a guy that wants the puck and will shoot the puck as often as he can. If they're in a tie game with two minutes left and they need a big goal and Velarde can be that guy, that's good news for LA. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I guess we'll see how it goes. He seems to be the most uncertain of the three centers we just talked about. Yeah. And I will say part of the reason is injuries. Yeah. That needs to stop becoming a theme. Well, I was going to say that's the main reason for me. But yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, true. For sure. All right, we're going to talk about, oh, uh, the last person we're going to talk about um, is Cal Peterson. Um, And just quickly, when I was looking at his stats here, um, he kind of has a pretty interesting stat thing. It just shows how weird goalies are in general. But um, he plays from, he he goes to Notre Dame. Um, He does pretty well in Notre Dame. Um, And then he... He goes immediately to the Ontario Reign, um, and he starts off the year with a 9-10 save percentage and a 2.58 GAA in 
<laughs> 41 games. Um, excuse me. Um, and then, um, then the next year, for some weird reason, he, um, he blows up. And he has a 402 GAA and a save percentage of 896 um, in 38 games for Ontario. But then, here's the crazy part, is then he plays for the LA Kings for about 11 games. Obviously, it's a small sample size, but still, um, you can get a good sense of how a player is doing. Um, and he has a save percentage of 924 and a GAA of 2.6. Um, and then this year, a similar thing happened where he doesn't play well in the OHL. He has a 3.43 GAA um, and a 906 save percentage in 37 games. And then he plays in eight games, which again is a pretty small sample size for a goalie in the NHL, but um, still a little bit enough to to get some sense of what's going on. And he has a 922 save percentage and a GA of 2.64. Um, so it's kind of like hard to explain how how that works out. But um, in the meantime, it seems that like you know Jonathan Quick isn't as good as he once was. Um, and uh, it's not like the Kings have a ton of um, good goalie prospects out there. So um, Cal, Cal Peterson, especially when Jack uh, Campbell was shipped out to Toronto. Mm -hmm. So um, I could see Cal Peterson becoming a legitimate starter in the league pretty soon, or at least be the 1B to Jonathan Quick's 1A um, pretty soon. And I think that's that could work out for him, especially because the Kings, there's no pressure for Cal Peterson right now. It's like, if he screws up, it's like the Kings aren't really um, competing um, for the cup this year anyways. Um, so if he he can screw up as much as he wants, um, I mean, obviously he, like he shouldn't try to do that, but there's no pressure is what I'm getting at. and. If he's good, then he may shock the world and um, and the Kings get another goaltender to uh, replace Quick in a couple years. But um, at the moment, um, he's looking good in the NHL at least. Yeah, what's interesting about Pearson is he was drafted by the Sabres and yeah. the Kings somehow got him. So that that's the interesting part of Pearson for me is uh, when, when he was playing – college hockey was a Sabres prospect and then all of a sudden uh, either Pearson didn't want to play in Buffalo or Buffalo is just like yeah we got other options uh, good luck oh is this and the, the uh, Jimmy VC type situation like he played yeah, I, three, I can't years. remember what the reason was but I'm pretty sure Buffalo could use him right now yeah that's a good point but uh, yeah so could the Kings so could the Kings because you're right, right quick hasn't been that good um his numbers at Notre Dame were pretty good um having a 920 save percentage if not if not having a 920 at least 919 save percentage um in a college season that's pretty good doing that for three straight years is even more impressive and what I actually realized is that according to elite prospects I believe he was named he was captain for his final season at Notre Dame when he played 40 games. Um, I believe yeah. on the prospects it says he's captain. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. Is with with goalies and getting the assistant captaincies, but we've seen that a few times uh, during this prospect series. 
Yeah. Um, but um, Pearson had a very solid uh, first impression uh, with his play with Notre Dame, and then he goes to the AHL, puts up good numbers in his first year. His first year when he was 23-14-2 in 41 games, and his GAA was 2.58, Brett. The key thing to note was he averaged 27 shots faced per game, which is partially due to the team in front of him. You're not facing 27 or 40 shots per game because of anything you're doing. It's largely because of what your team is doing around you. So I point that out because I realized, okay, um, he played three fewer games in 2018-19, and yet he he faced, I think he stopped like uh, 208 more shots in the previous season, and he played three fewer games. So that surely means the amount of shots he was facing every game was going up. And sure enough, it was. I didn't realize how much it went up by. It went up by 8.8 shots. He faced, as a rookie, Brett, 27 shots per game as an NHL rookie. And in his second year, he faced 35.8 shots per game. No wonder his GAA was so high because he was getting peppered. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, the Ontario Reign, that was the season they were dead last. And now we know why. Because they gave up shots galore. And when you do that, that's when you get burnt. Um, surprisingly, his record last year was 13-19-3. So it probably should have been a lot worse. But he, he, he did a decent job, I guess, under the circumstances. This year, he was averaging 34.1 shots faced per game. So... It went down by not by much, and he adjusted to his credit. He had three shutouts this year. Last year, he had none. His save percentage improved from 896 to 906, which is good. His GAA is still nearing 3.5, but still down from 4.02. And his overall record in 34 games this year was 17, 15, and 4. So his record's improved. Yeah. So, again, under the circumstances, Keeping that in mind, I can understand why the GAA jumped so much because he was under siege all the time, every single game. And what's also interesting is in the NHL games, both this year and last year combined, where he has faced 35 shots or more, he is 4-2-1 in set outings. So... In seven of his first 19 games, he's faced at least 35 shots. And in those seven outings, Cal Peterson has gone 4-2-1. and one. So you're right. In that aspect, it is interesting because at the NHL level, in some ways, he's still under siege, but yet he's getting better results in the NHL than he is in the AHL. And, yeah. and some guys are very weird. You put them down in the AHL, and they're not that great, but you put them up in the NHL – and all of a sudden, they're contending for a Vezina Trophy. So right. you're right when you say goaltending is a very rare art. And a lot of iconic, very interesting personalities um, are pretty much developed in the crease, so to speak. And 
in his first 10 starts, he went 5-4-1. He's 5-3-0 this year. Save percentage over 920, like you said, at the AHL level. I don't care what his AHL numbers are like. If he can do the job and he can be their goalie of the future, I don't care as a Kings fan how well he plays in the AHL. So long as when the Kings are good, he's there and he's stopping pockets. Right. Yeah. So, so that, that's good, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, so we cleared up the mystery. He, yeah. he, he has to face a lot of shots, and yeah. when, you, when you do that, bad things happen. Okay, I guess I guess that's the secret everyone knows now. <laughs> yeah, have better defense. Yeah. Uh, so now we go to Minnesota. Oh, oh, actually, before we go to Minnesota, um, I do want to mention, you, you did talk about Samuel Fajamo before. Mm-hmm. I do want to... Just mention him quickly. Um, also, Tobias Bjornfoot and yep. Rasmus Kupari, um, who could all be pretty good players uh, for the Kings in the future. Um, we haven't, and so Tobias Bjornfoot is a defenseman. We didn't really talk about any defenseman for the Kings, um, but um, he's probably their most likely like replacement for Drew Doughty, I'd, I'd say. Although I don't think Bjornfoot. Um, has been as good offensively speaking, so that's something to pay attention to. Um, also, there's Kale, also a there's also Kale Clegg, yeah, who is more of an him. offensive defenseman. Yeah, he's another um, one. And, and you, and you do make Jersey. a good point, Brett. You do make a good point when you say that we didn't mention their defenseman a lot. It, it's nice and all to fix their offense and their goaltending. Yeah. Their defense is in pretty rough shape, too, because outside of Drew sure. Daddy, what do they have, right? Yeah, and Drew Daddy's not what he once was either, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. you're right. That's a good point. Um, also, you mentioned Jarrett Anderson Dolan's another one, too. So they have a lot of good mm-hmm. prospects that hasn't been up there in uh, a while. but um, So it, it should be interesting to see how they do it, because I guess they're in full rebuild mode right now, so. Um, yeah, but it, it depends on how long that will be. Um, like even I remember late, late this year, like a guy like that I hadn't even heard of, but then I keep on seeing his name when he kept on he kept on contributing to goals was Blake Lizotte. I don't know if you've heard of him too, but um, yeah, I've heard of Blake Lizotte. Yep, Lizotte. Yeah, so he was he's been pretty good in the NHL too even though he's kind of unheralded I guess um, and so that's another one too um, and Adrian Kempe has had his moments too in the NHL so um, yeah they'll be an interesting team for sure um, we're now going to the Minnesota Wild here um, they're kind of just starting their prospect uh, reload I feel like um, and they're kind of in an interesting situation because they're um, they're in an even worse situation than Florida and Edmonton. They might be in the worst cap situation of every team that we've talked about, um, or in the NHL, in fact. And that's mostly because uh, they have Ryan Sutter, uh, Suter, sorry, and Zach Parise signed for seven point five million, um, and they're thirty five years old right now. But they have. Uh, five more years left on their contract now um, at 7.5. And don't get me wrong, Ryan Suter and Zach Parise are actually pretty good players, even now. 
But the thing is, is that they're very injury prone and they're definitely not worth 7.5 million um, annual average value. So, um, and that kind of has tarnished a lot of their moves or like it limited the amount of their off season because they can't really sign uh, a lot of free agents or they can't even really trip like sell the farm because no team really wants Zach Parise or Ryan Suter. Although I, I actually speaking of which I think one team did there was like a rumor that Zach Parise might have been traded over the trade deadline, but I guess that was called off like an hour before or something like that. But it was, it was like, the Islanders. It was the Islanders for Andrew Ladd who Yeah also is on a bad contract too so it would have been like a wash anyways if they traded kind of like a david clarkson for nathan horton type trade yeah um i would argue i would argue the lad contract's worse than Bruce yeah Zane. that's At true least can score yeah that's a good point i guess i would rather have parise than lad but um i don't know it's still it's still pretty bad um mm-hmm. anyways um, they did manage to sign Matt Sugarello for $6 million. Uh, That was another strange contract because uh, they had, uh, I'm blanking on this GM's name now. Paul Fenton. Paul Fenton, yeah. Um, and he, uh, so he, he signs Matt Zuccarello. Um, he also traded away Michael Granlund and uh, he traded uh, someone else. Charlie Coyle, Nino Charlie Nino Coyle, Nino and there's another one who I'm blanking on. Nino, oh, Nino, 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 Nino Rider. Rider. Um, and all three were panned at the time. However, he uh, Kevin Fiala actually might be a superstar. Uh, yep. So so he, he actually did pretty well in that one. Um, but everyone else, like uh, Ryan Donato is nowhere to be seen now. Um, and Victor Rask, who knows about him? I don't even think he's in the <laughs> NHL, right? Yeah, that um, was the worst one. Yeah, and it's it's and to be fair, it's not like Granlund um, and uh, uh, Nino has been great for the other teams. Charlie Coyle's actually been pretty good for the Bruins, but yeah, um, it's like it was panned at the time because Granlund was supposed to be like much better than Kevin Fiala at the time and now it's reversed. Um, anyways, uh, he, Paul Fenton gets, go, goes off, um, gets fired partly because of those trades and that Matt Zuccarello trade, uh, signing. Um, and then, uh, in goes Bill Guerin. Um, and he, uh, you know, and then he gets, uh, Kalen Addison, who we'll talk about in a second from that Jason Zucker trade um, in season, um, and that kind of started this whole um, rebuild. Where even though they'll probably won't be able to trade Parise or Ryan Suter for for a long time because um, no one wants that kind of contract, um, they're they're kind of they might be in good shape actually. Um, so. The UFAs are uh, Miko Koivu, um, Alex Galchenyuk, um, and yeah, I think that's it for UFAs for them. Um, and then for RFAs, there's Luke Kunin and Jordan Greenway, um, who are both young players. Um, they're they're both like deaf pieces for them, so um, yeah. that could be they they could end up being 
good players for them eventually, but maybe not right now. Um, so we're going to start with actually um, the, the Minnesota Wild may have hit the bank on this guy. Uh, his name is uh, Kirill Kaprizov. I think that's how you pronounce his first name, at least. Um, but uh, he was a fifth round pick in 2015 and uh, 135th overall. He kind of, um, the, and you may have heard of him because he's been tearing it up in the KHL for the past couple of years. Um, most, mostly this year where he had 62 points for in 57 games um, in the KHL this year. Um, and he, uh, I remember, I think there's always been some hype where we're not sh entirely sure when Kaprizov will go to Minnesota. It looks like this season, this off season will be the time or this next season is when we'll actually get to see him in North America, um, most likely. But, um, if all, if he is as good as hyped, he could be like the next Artemi Panarin, um, where he, um, where he plays really well in the KHL, um, and then he goes over to the NHL and plays really well there. And that's, um, that's pretty good for the Minnesota Wild, who desperately need some prospects or some, some players that, uh, that they can help out with, uh, for him. So, um, he hasn't signed yet, I don't believe. Um, so, so it's still up in the air when he'll actually, when we'll actually see him, but, uh, he is someone that Minnesota Wild fans should be excited for because he could be that kind of player that makes ev the, everyone on the team that much better. Yeah. And certainly has evolved in a league amongst men to be a guy that can be a top six and the one warning i will say is that not every single player that comes out of the khl that's hyped to be the next biggest thing to happen in the nhl ever turns out that right. way there was a lot of hype when the Sens drafted alexi kagarodov that oh he was gonna be this guy and we trade and the Sens just traded him to yeah. arizona back then still called the phoenix coyotes for mike comrie who would help them in their playoff run later uh, um and there's also Ilya kolachuk which yeah round two didn't work and then there's a bunch of other examples nikita gustav i guess is still to be determined but uh Vat he, he was better gustav was better uh towards the end of the season i believe yeah, Gusev started to pick it up. Shibachev never yeah, did slash never got a chance to. So, right. yeah, that was a failed experiment. But um, there, there's definitely optimism because his game has been building every single year. It's gotten better every single year, and this year it got better again. Um, his first full season of the KHL was in 2014-15, his draft year, when he, when he had eight points in 31 games. Followed that up with 11 goals and 27 points in 53 games the next year. That was with KHL Metallurg. Then he goes to uh, Salavat Yulev Ufa. I probably butchered that for 2016-17. He gets his first 20-goal season there, ends with 42 points in 49 games, scores three goals in five games during their short playoff run. Uh, then after that, he plays the first of three seasons with CSKA Moskva 
his first year, he has 15 goals and 25 assists for 40 points in 46 games. Um, adds another 10 points in 19 games in the playoffs. And then in the Olympics, because people remember, oh, yeah, Russia did send some of its athletes in some capacity. Right. And um, I believe he led the tournament in goals with uh, five goals in six games. He had nine points and uh, one Olympic gold with the Olympic athletes of Russia is what they went by. 2018-19, uh, he gets his first 30-goal season, has 51 points in 57 games, has another big playoff run where he gets 14 points in 19 games. This year was his biggest year, 33 goals and 62 points in 57 games. Before the playoffs were cut off because of you-know-what, he had four points in four games. Um, so again, definitely has the resume of a top-six threat, uh, a guy that maybe you don't even need to put him in, in the AHL. He can just slot right into the lineup. Um, so it'll be interesting to see um, just how they develop this guy. Uh, they do have uh, some other decent prospects um, that um, play on the wing. The thing with Kaprizov is that he can play both left wing and right wing. Whereas you look at other guys, they can only play one side. So you have a bit of versatility there. Um, in terms of other prospects that could be vying for a spot, there's um, Ivan Lodnia, who's had a decent OHL resume. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of where they slot Kaprizov, it's probably on the left side because um, it, 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 it appears to be that on the left side is where they, they really need a bit of help. Um, like Marcus Foligno, I know the dude provides crit, but not much offense there. So right. I think the left side is where they are lacking a little bit. Um, you could argue the right side, they could also use a bit of help, but I think on the left side is, is where they're a bit lacking there. So I could probably see the left wing being the first place they try to utilize him when it's time. Yeah, that's possible. Um, I thought for some reason, I thought Fiala was a left winger and I wasn't, I was like, wait, that, and then I knew Parise was a left winger as well, but I guess Fiala is a right winger. So. Actually, I actually have the list. Uh, it says, it says on the left wing they have Greenway, Parise, Felino, and Donato, yeah. and on the right side they have Fiala, Kunin, Zuccarello, and Hartman. Right, right. I see that too. So I, I, I guess they're just as bad on either side, yeah. but I, I think probably, I think probably still on the left side because Greenway has upside, but. You don't know what you have in Parise. Donato, it could be something there. Um, yeah. But I, I really like Fiala. I think he's going to have a pretty big year next year. Yep. Um, and I think he's going to need to play on the first line, at the, the very least the second line for that to happen. So I think that's probably why they put Kaprizov on the left side. Yeah, I could see that. Um, also, it's interesting, too, because the next – uh, we're going to be talking about two left-wingers or listed as left-wingers mm -hmm. as well. So, um, yeah, I guess the Minnesota is kind of like Calgary where they just have a lot of left-wingers for some reason. Um, <laughs> including this guy, Matt Boldy, is our the next guy we're going to talk about. Uh, he was the 12th overall pick um, in 2019. 
Um, and he was also on that uh, Jack Hughes, Spencer Knight, Alex Turcotte team, Trevor Zegras team um, <clears throat> in the U.S. National uh, Junior Team. Um, he had 43 points in 28 games there. Um, and then he had 12 points in seven games for the World Juniors. Uh, this year he goes to BC. Uh, by the way, I found out that he's from Massachusetts, so I love him even more now. <laughs> um, that's just what happens once I find they, out they, that they they're from Massachusetts. They clearly have a Boston theme. They get Ryan Donato, now they have Matthew Boldy. Yeah, that's true. I think that's the only two Massachusetts natives that they have, though. Well, Charlie Coyle is a Massachusetts native, too. So, oh, yeah, that's right. So they traded a Massachusetts native for another Massachusetts native. Yeah. They um, realized they had to hit their quota. Yeah, exactly. Well, it wouldn't really work like that, but, yeah, I see <laughs> what you mean. Anyways, Matthew Boldy, uh, he he actually uh, played pretty well for BC. Uh, I think this is the – oh, no, this is the second BC person we're talking about today. Um, and he has uh, – he had 26 points in 34 games – um, now, I mentioned early on in this episode, feels like forever ago, but uh, I did, so I did get to watch a lot of BC games this year. I don't really remember him too much on the ice. Um, I do remember seeing a lot of Alex Newhook. Um, so, as, a, you know, as opposed to Spencer Knight, you already know who Spencer Knight is, but I didn't, I didn't get to see too much out of Matthew Boldy to really have, form an opinion on him. Um, but all these like scouting reports say that he's like a big time power forward type player. Um, and he is also, um, he, like he can play defense too. Um, so like he's, he's a good two way player for them, which is, uh, which is kind of interesting. And, um, so he's like a versatile player as well. Um, yeah. So what do you have on Matthew Boldy? Yeah, um, currently um, Elite Prospects is uh, building him as a finesse player with impressive creativity, got a quick release, playmaking ability is pretty good. Um, not the fastest skater, but his hockey sense is a pretty big weapon of his. It's what helps him become a reliable offensive threat potentially. Um, he's also got a fair bit of size, six foot two hundred ninety two pounds. The thing with Caprice, obviously, not as tall as Boldy, but he, at yeah. last check he weighs 201 pounds, which for a guy at five foot ten is 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 a pretty big body to contain. Right. Um, so they do have a bit of size in Caprice, uh, a bit more size in Boldy because of his height. Um, he's got a good blend of size, anticipation, and vision in the offensive zone. Makes the first pass usually excellent. Um, fair high-end skating got a wrist shot that is heavy and whippy deadly from all angles because he can score from in tight he can score from long range and minnesota frankly like la just needs goal scoring period they don't care if it's from the blue line they don't care if it's from the corner they don't care if it's from the slot they don't care if it's right in front of the goalie's face they need goals to go in the net and um like you said, Matt Boldy is kind of a Swiss Army knife in that regard. A very um, dynamic offensive player that can score in a bunch of different ways, can be useful in so different ways. Uh, you mentioned his ability to perform at the international stage. 
2017-18, he took part in the U-17 Challenge. He had three goals and six helpers in six games. Um, they won gold at that tournament. Um, he went to the U-18 Challenge in 2018-19. Uh, Boldy had three goals and nine assists in seven games there. Um, I would say his chances of making the 2021 World Juniors roster is looking pretty good. Um, considering he was a first-year um, NCAA player, I think there's definitely a lot of room for him to grow. It was a pretty decent season for him there. Um, I think he's likely knocking on the GM's door, eager to join the fold in a couple of years. I don't see him being a significant part of the puzzle on the roster in a couple of years. He's probably, after his college career, going to play in the NHL for, in the AHL rather, for a season or two before he gets the call up. And they they do have some type of of depth on the wings. I know I said it wasn't anything to like write home about. It's not definitely the cream of the crop, but it's not bad. Um, there is upside for Luke Kunin. Um, there is upside for Fiala and Donato as well. Um, and, you know, you can say what you want about Bill Guerin's tactics and what he said during the trade deadline and in the days that followed it and the coaching change with Bruce Boudreau. But at the time the NHL season stopped, they were only a couple of points out of a playoff spot. So if this team can contend for a playoff spot at this stage right now with the roster that they have, in a couple of years, if everyone develops the right way and they have this kind of mindset, Minnesota could be back to being a contender sooner than people think. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, all right, so the next guy we're going to talk about, we talked about him a bit when this Jason Zucker trade happened, but we'll yeah. talk about him again uh, because uh, he is one of their top prospects. Um, it's uh, Kalen Addison. Uh, he, as, as mentioned, he was in, involved in the Jake, uh, Jake, the Jason Zucker trade. Um, and a big reason why, and he was a big part of the return for that, that trade. Um, and, um, a big reason is, is because he, he's been playing pretty well in the WHL. Um, this, uh, this last, this past year, he had 52 points in 50 games, uh, which is pretty good for a defenseman, obviously. And then in the world juniors, he had nine points in seven games. Um, and I think, um, and like the year before that, he had 65 points in 67 games for the Lethbridge Hurricanes again. Um, he played a bit for Wilkes-Barre Scranton where he had two assists in three games. Um, the thing with Minnesota is, is that they don't have too many, um, I mean, I guess other than Matt Dumba um, and I guess Jared Spurgeon, they're, they're kind of... Um, they don't have too many defensemen, really. Um, I mean, I guess Ryan Suter and Jonas Brodeen also count. Um, wait, Jonas Brodeen is 26 years old? I thought he was like 32 or something. Jeez. <laughs> That's how long he's been in the league. The I guy thought... is Benjamin Button. He's yeah. gotten younger for six years. Jeez. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> that kind of changes my opinion a little bit. But because um, I thought... Anyways, well, I mean, Jonas Brodeen... Greg Patern and Brad Hunt are all going to be UFAs in two years. Um, I'm sure Jonas Brodeen's going to get an extension, but um, 
but they can make room for Kalen Addison, I would imagine. Um, and yeah, I think they can uh, spruce up their defensive core that way. Um, but it is a little bit tough when you see that Ryan Suter is making 7.5 million and he's 35 years old and he has five more years left. So that where that's where it gets a little bit interesting in terms of the cap situation. Um, but I'd imagine we'll see a bit of Kalen Addison in the pros for a bit. Um, and then, um, and then maybe he'll be a full-time player in like two years, say. Um, so, so he could be a, a prime player for them in the future. And, um, it's going to be the, um, one of those trades that they'll talk about in the future where we'll, we'll know in the future if, if Minnesota, uh, gave up enough or if Pittsburgh gave up enough um, and regrets trading Jason Sucker or not. But so far, um, it looks like Kalen Addison could be a good offensive defenseman for them. Um, I remember you were telling me about Brandon Mennell as well, so you can talk about him as well. But um, yeah, the it looks like Kalen Addison could be pretty good. I will talk about both defensemen in this segment, and I will um, talk about both because, the, in particular, the right side of their defense is very, very interesting. On the left side, you have Ryan Suter, Jonas Brodin, and Carson Soucy that are primary left shots. On the, in terms of right-handed shots, you have Matt Dumba. You have Jared Spurgeon, who you, prior to the season, locked up for the next seven years. Um, so add that to your cap space. You have Brad Hunt and Greg Pattern as well. Both Menel and Addison are right-handed shots. And it should also be noteworthy to keep in mind that around the trade deadline, there were reports that they weren't close to a deal, but Matt Dumba might be getting shopped or, J or uh, Jonas Brodeen might That's be right. getting shopped. And of the two, obviously, um, Matt Dumba would get the bigger haul. And it wouldn't honestly surprise me within the next year or two if Bill Guerin pulls the trigger on that deal, depending on the return, of course. Partially because of these two defensemen and what they've been doing uh, over the past couple of years. So we'll talk about Addison first. Um, he had identical 65-point seasons uh, in back-to-back -back years, 11 goals, 54 assists in both uh, played in one fewer game in 2018-19. Um, in his first actual season, his rookie season, he had 12 power play points and 33 points overall in 63 games. So his rookie campaign was still pretty good. Um, he had 35 and 32 power play assists in his second and third season, respectively, which is pretty crazy and i believe if it wasn't leading the league it was certainly very close to leading the whl in terms of power play assists by defensemen um and he was a top 10 defenseman in a lot of categories in terms of points in terms of shots on goal in terms of power play assists um this guy was just consistently good uh once he got his stride going and uh this year he had 52 points in 50 games only took 133 shots, which was a 30-shot downgrade from the year before. Still got 24 power play points. And a guy that 
can average around 10 to 15 goals for you a season in the WHL, which is pretty impressive. Uh, in 2018, he also had a pretty good playoff run with Lethbridge. He had 19 points in 16 games, uh, 10, uh, 14 of his 19 points on the power play. So really clicking with the man advantage there. Um, and that kind of brings me to Brennan Mental because I was kind of him and annoying between putting either him or Addison on this list. And I say that because... Brendan Mental not only had good junior hockey numbers, but he he's also done very very well in the American Hockey League. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about Mental after I wrap up talking about Addison. Uh, the hope is that Addison is going to turn pro next year. That's what Bill Guerin said. So likely his junior hockey days are done. Um, According to what we're, we were hearing at the time, um, Kalen Addison tries to model his game after Jared Spurgeon, who is going to be his teammate. So um, he's probably going to be in good hands there. Um, and that also brings me back to the Matt Dumba situation. If your plan is to hopefully someday make Kalen Addison the centerpiece of your blue line, Matt Dumba is probably the guy that goes because he is a right-handed shot right. like Addison, standing in Addison's way of getting the top-line minutes. And like I said, Dumba would get them a very good return and help them maybe solve some other needs they're having trouble to fill. Because like we mentioned with the LA Kings, Minnesota is lacking in a, more than just one area. They're lacking right. in a few. Um, so... It would be interesting if they pull the trigger on a dumb trade like in the next like before his contract's up right. uh, so then we get to brennan mental for a bit he had 21 points as a whl rookie 53 points in his second year then 71 points and 59 assists in his final whl season uh where he puts up 17 points in 20 playoff games in 2017. You get to the AHL, where he has 25 points in his first season, pretty respectable, 44 points in 70 games as a second-year player, and this year, 47 points in 57 games. We talked about Jake Bean a couple weeks ago and how good he was doing in the AHL. This guy's right behind him in second place in defensive scoring this year. So... I'm really interested to see what Brennan Mel turns into because he might not have the same amount of hype as Kalen Addison, but don't tell him and his offensive numbers that because they look just as impressive as Kalen's. Yeah, for sure. That's that's a good point. I hadn't even heard of Brendan Mental, and then when you Neither mentioned it, but yeah. when you dig into a guy's uh, history books, you never know what you can find. Bro. Yeah, for sure. Um. All right. Uh, lastly, we're going to talk about. Uh, oh no, not lastly. This is the fourth. <laughs> we got a few more. Yeah, we have two more. Um, we uh, we're going to talk about Capo Kakonin, um, and he uh, he might actually be a pretty good goalie for the Minnesota Wild um, in the future. He could be the goalie of the future for them. Um, and for the record, uh, Devin Dubnik has one more year left. Um, so 
uh, that that's definitely possible. And then you have Alex Daylock, who has two more years left. So I could see Kakonin taking over afterwards. Um, and um, even next year, uh, we could see Kakonin be the starter pretty soon, or like a 1A, 1P situation with Dubnik. Um, but anyways, uh, he played, uh, let's start off with, um, he played for Liga uh, for a bit, and he had um, his last year there, he had a 922 save percentage and a 2.2 GAA in 56 games. Um, then he goes over to the AHL, um, and he's pretty, he's somewhat impressive. He has a 2.78 GAA. The reason why I say somewhat is his GAA is pretty good. His save percentage is not so good with a 908 save percentage um, in 39 games. Um, and then this year, um, he plays for the AHL again, um, and he has a 927 save percentage and a 2.07 GAA. Um, in 34 games. Um, so that's pretty good for both both those categories. Um, and then he ends up playing five games in Minnesota. He has a 913 uh, save percentage and a GAA of 2.96 um, in five games. So of course, that's a very low sample, small sample size, but um, considering like just looking at the cap situation for Minnesota um, and just the fact that this guy could, is, seems to be their future goaltender, you know, that they can play with. Uh, Kakanen's 23 years old, and Dubnik is 33, so he's 10 years younger than Dubnik is, and um, it looks like uh, Kakanen could be the guy to uh, take over um, in the next couple of years, and so maybe even next season. Yeah, could be uh, the Capo Caco of goaltenders. Yeah. A elite prospect in the making. Um, yeah, is uh, I will admit his Liga numbers were, were pretty good. Um, before he had that monster year in 2017-18, he had a 9.21 save percentage and a 2.58 GAA in 34 games. So it just seems that every single season he plays – the numbers start to improve. He gets more comfortable in his elements, and he just seems to take off and blossom into a top goaltender in whatever league he plays in, which, which is which is very good. That's what you want to see every single year. You want to see a person getting better. Um, in his debut AHL season, um, his GAA, his save percentage was a bit underwhelming. However, there are a couple of things I do want to point out. Um, he faced almost 1,200 shots that year, which was 12th most in the AHL, tops amongst rookie netminders. So that's an average of 30.5 shots per game. Still went 17, 14, and 8 that year and led the league in shutouts with 6. So even with that GAA and even with that save percentage, led the league in shutouts and still got 17 wins. That's pretty decent for a rookie. You take a look at this year, his record is one of the best in the league, 25, six and three in 34 games, way better GAA, way better save percentage is shots per game went down by a full two shots, which helps and still picking up shutouts. This time he leads the league with seven. So in 13 of his 42 wins, they've been shutouts lifetime in the AHL. That's not too bad. Um, then you take a look at his NHL numbers. Cause you're right, Brad, he did play a bit of time in the big leagues as well. He's 3-1-1 one one in his first five games all this season. 
Uh, if you take a look at his individual stats, his first game was at New Jersey, November 26th. He's top 32 of 34, got his first big league win there. Uh, December 3rd at Florida, gets Pepper with 46 shots, stops 44, picks up the win. December 10th versus Anaheim, his first home game. Uh, the Minnesota Wild, um, unfortunately, didn't get the win this time. They did get an overtime shootout point, um, and Kako stopped 31 of 33 that game. December 12th against Edmonton, gets shelled for five goals and 33 shots, but Minnesota somehow wins anyway. And December 15th at Chicago, he takes his first regulation L of his career in the NHL. Um, the Hawks sold him four times on 26 shots. Um, so all things considered, definitely has his moments. Um, the first year or so I, in the NHL, I would definitely expect there's a learning curve and there's going to be a lot of room to grow and a lot to learn from and develop um, as um, NHL player, goaltender. But I definitely think there's promise there. Uh, they also have another prospect uh, named Hunter Jones who plays for the OHL's Peterborough Peets. Um, had a trial by fire season as a backup a couple of years ago. Um, got shell with the third most shots in 2018-19, but still posted 28 wins and above 500 record. This year, one of the best goalies, top five in GAA, near the top five in save percentage, and he got over 30 wins. So um, I think it's going to be either between Hunter Jones and Capo Kakinen as to who the future goalie is going to be. The fact that Kakinen has posted these kind of AHL numbers and he has some NHL experience, he's probably going to get to the league faster than Hunter Jones, um, which means it's going to be up to him to stay there. Yeah, that's a good point. There is Hunter Jones to compete with. Um, and then lastly, because uh, we kind of have to get going here, um, is yeah. Adam Beckman. Um, he's another left winger here. But the main reason why I wanted to include him here is because I was looking up like WHL stats, I think like a couple of months ago, um, and I see that Adam Beckman is leading the league in, in the WHL in points. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Because uh, I hadn't heard of him at the time. Um, and then I find out that he was picked in the third round of 2019 this year. Um, so he's 18 years old, and he's, so he's pretty good. He had 107 points this year in 63 games. The year before that, he had 62 points in 68 games. Um, so he's obviously just uh, went up another level um, in that regard. Um, and, um, yeah, I think this is a, this could be like another type of steal for the Minnesota wild, kind of like a caprice off where they find like a diamond in the rough. Um, because it looks like he, uh, like if he was draftable this year, he would be one of the top players to be drafted. But, um, it is kind of cool that he's 18 years old and he's, uh, he's doing, he's the, one of the best players in the WHL. Yeah, and uh, if they let him finish out next year and let him play as an overager, imagine what those numbers are going to be like the next two years. Right. Because uh, this year they were already dominant. Uh, he had 316 shots on top of his 107 points, which, of course, uh, was enough to 
Uh, I'm pretty sure lead the WHL in that department as well. So he led the league in points. He led the league in shots. Amongst the league leaders in goals with 48, he had 59 assists as well. Had a 32-goal season as a rookie. Uh, a guy that will shoot like 15 to 18%, so a very efficient goal scorer as well. Um, he had eight power play goals as a rookie, 16 this year, and uh, nine game winners as well. So he scored a couple of big goals. Um, a guy that averages five shots per game, so kind of like an Arthur Kaliev. Um, but I think his defensive work is, it needs a little bit less work. Um, so I, I think there is definitely a lot of hype to this kid. The fact that they only had one WHL season to kind of base their pick on, probably why he went in the third round and nowhere higher. But the fact that they were able to base that one season and just take a chance on a guy in round three kind of also shows how much faith they have in this kid and um, what he could do potentially. Um, he's being described as a guy who displays hockey smarts through his positioning. Yep. Uh, ability to read plays are pretty good. He's got an excellent release. Great sense for when to use that release as well. Um, he beats goalies with consistency from the slot and from the circles, which um, I think what makes a goal scorer very lethal. Um, and again, going to turn 19 years old in May. Um, interested to see what they have in store for him. Just signed his entry-level contract, but that doesn't stop him from playing another season or two of junior. Um, but yeah, he, like I said, their left side might not be looking terrific right now. In a couple of years, it could look deadly. Yeah, especially if they have Boldy, Kaprizov, and this guy, Beckman. It's, yeah, it yep. is looking pretty good. Um, okay. Um, yeah, so that about does it for us. Um, oh, also, I guess I wanted to mention that, um, Vladislav Firstov, who plays for UConn, um, he, he's another left winger, but he's been pretty good for UConn. Um, and, uh, there's another one too. Oh, Alex Kovanov, Kovanov yeah. from the Moncton Wildcats. He's also been pretty good too for Minnesota. Yeah. Um, you talk about uh, top scores in the league. Kovanov is second this year. Oh, wow. Uh, behind Alexi Lafreniere in QMJHL scoring. Uh, he, uh, I believe, was one point shy of 100 this year. Uh, 32 goals in 51 games. Also had 69 assists. And he's yet to hit 200 shots in a season. So he's been an efficient goal scorer in his own right. So uh, interested to see what he provides, although he is a bit older than Beckman. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, all right. Uh, so that about does it for us. Um, another long episode here, but that's okay. It's, it's <laughs> technically the off season. We hope. Yeah, technically it's the off season. You probably have a lot of time on your hands. So. It's the off season, exactly. That's our excuse. Um, yeah, basically. Uh, so uh, yeah, you can catch us on Twitter at Lace Them Up, or at Lace Up Podcast. Sorry. Um, our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, yeah, our, you can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Bellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 217 of the Lace Them Up podcast.